how many of you are really satisfied, I mean really satisfied with your prayer life right now? You're really satisfied with your prayer life. Well, I'm not surprised by that, to be honest. I didn't put my hand up either. And I didn't say, hey, look here. I think this is one area that most of us struggle with. In fact, Baptist Press years ago ran an article where they uh, did a study. Someone did a study on 860 Protestant pastors, Protestant church pastors, 860 of them. And the study revealed that only 16 percent of the 860 pastors that they asked were satisfied with their personal prayer life. Now, in all fairness, I think that there are times who are more satisfied than others. There are those times, those seasons uh, where we're spending more time in prayer. We're more focused on prayer and we're enjoying prayer. And then there are some of those seasons that come in our life where prayer is a real struggle. In fact, if we're honest, there are times where prayer might even get pushed to the side because of busyness or whatever else. Now, if you're struggling with your prayer life this morning, I hope, number one, you're encouraged to know that you're not alone. And I hope, number two, I hope you're encouraged to know you don't have to stay in your present situation. In fact, it appears that one of Jesus' disciples uh, was not satisfied with their prayer life. And in fact, we find the story here in Luke chapter 11. If you have your copy of God's Word or get one from the pew rack, Luke chapter 11. And it seems he was not satisfied, and so he went to the Lord Jesus and he said, Lord, teach us to pray. And we find the story in the Gospel of Luke chapter 11 and beginning at verse 1. Follow along or listen as I read. It says in Luke 11, verse 1, Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place, as Jesus was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, when he stopped praying, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord... Teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. Now, I find it interesting that we never read in the Bible where they went and said, Lord, teach us to preach or Lord, teach us to to teach. But they went and said, Lord, teach us to pray. What must it have been like to pray with the Lord Jesus Christ? What must it have been like to kneel with him and hear him crying out and communing with the father? What an amazing thing it would be. And so the Lord hears this request. Lord, teach us to pray. And he graciously answers the request in what we often refer to as the Lord's Prayer. If you've been in church any time, you grew up in church, you've been around church, or even if you attend a funeral or a wedding or something, uh, you might be familiar with the Lord's Prayer. Is what we often call it. Probably not the best title. Because the Lord's Prayer would probably be uh, John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer. This is more of a model prayer that the Lord gives. In fact, we're going to call it this morning a pattern of prayer. The Lord lays down here a pattern of prayer uh, here in Luke chapter 11. And see if these words sound familiar. Verse 2. So he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, the Lord's prayer. And so he sets down this pattern of prayer. And please note that he takes for granted that they're going to pray. He didn't say if you pray. He says when you pray, when you pray, say these things. A child of God is going to pray. And he sets down this pattern of prayer. Now, by the way. 
Can I just remind us today, this is not just a bunch of words that we're supposed to mindlessly say, just like a mantra or uh, some mumbo jumbo. There's nothing wrong with saying these words verbatim. There's nothing wrong with praying them in unison. But I believe the purpose of the prayer is not so much to use the exact words, but it's a pattern of prayer. These are the things to pray about. Uh, these are the, this is the spirit you should have when you go to the Lord in prayer. These are the motives in prayer. Here's what you need to focus on. He lays down this pattern. Now, in all honesty, we've studied this prayer in detail in days gone by. And so I'm not going to unpack it fully today. But let me remind you basically what he's saying here. First of all, the Lord Jesus is saying to pray for God's glory in verse 2. Pray for God's glory. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The focus is Godward. Pray for God's glory. And then in the rest of the pattern of prayer, he's saying basically pray for your good. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, so forth and so on. And can I just say to you today, that's God's desire. That's God's heart. His glory and your good. His glory and our good. And uh, he lays down this pattern of prayer and then he tells them a story. He tells them a parable. And we just started last week this new series called Pondering the Parables. And so we're going to ponder another parable here this morning. Now, I gave you three important principles last week, and I want to refresh them real quickly before we jump into the parable. Three things to remember when you're studying the parable. Okay, because you run into his stories a lot here in the Gospels. So when you're looking at a story, first of all, you want to observe the immediate context. You want to look at where that story is told, what's going on, because often a parable addresses a problem or it answers a question. And so he just a disciple just said, Lord, teach us to pray. He gives them a pattern of prayer. Then he tells them a story. So we're looking at the context. And then secondly, you want to study to find the main point. Most of the times, majority of times, there's a one main point that Jesus is getting at in these stories. People want to find all kinds of meaning and symbolism and all that. But usually there's one main point. Don't get sidetracked. Don't read too much into it. Find the main point. Then third, this is important, move from the known to the unknown. That is a parable we've told you is what's an earthly story, what you know about. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so you move from what you know about to what you don't know about. A parable, a parable is basically setting alongside something you're familiar with or something you're not. It's an earthly story with a spiritual or heavenly lesson. And so we think about the context of this story. What's going on here? Well, a disciple came and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus says, OK, when you pray, say our father, which art in heaven, he gives this pattern of prayer. Now, let's look back and read the story. Verse five, moving from the known to the unknown. Verse five. And he said to them, which of you shall have a friend? We can understand that, right? You got a friend. Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves or three loaves of bread. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is now shut. And my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be will be given to you. Seek and you will find knock and it will be open to you for everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open. And don't read our culture 
into their culture. The story is straightforward. You have some friends in this passage. You have a traveling friend who arrives at the house of another friend at midnight. And the friend who owns the house goes to a neighbor friend to get some food for the friend that is coming. Is that just clear as I'll get out? Maybe this will help. Bob arrives at Bill's house at midnight. Okay, he arrives at Bill's house at midnight. Bill has no food in the house. So Bill goes to his neighbor Joe's house to borrow some food. Does that kind of help kind of clarify what's going on here? you got the picture. Now remember, there are no 24-hour grocery stores. We can understand that where we live, can't we? You know, it's hard to find something open. There's no freezer down in the basement to run down and thaw something out and fix it for him. There's no food. So he goes to his neighbor. And how does the neighbor respond? He says basically, go away. Go away. Now, we can understand that, can't we? Uh, Most of y'all would have shot Bill already thinking he was a burglar. (laughs) But instead, this neighbor doesn't shoot him. He just rejects him. Now, remember, this is their culture, not our culture. This is their time, not our time. In fact, the Bible scholars tell me that in a Middle Eastern village, hospitality is a very important thing. When a guest arrives in the village, the whole village is involved in entertaining him. For the village not to entertain him would be a terrible breach of etiquette. And for the guest, listen to this, for the guest to refuse the hospitality would be a greater sin. Whether the visitor is hungry or not, he's offered food and must eat. I've made some of those visits, by the way. (laughs) You're not hungry. Eat? No. And so he says when Jesus described the sleeping neighbor as he did in that culture, in that time, the listeners that were hearing this originally must have been horrified. For no member of a village would ever refuse to help a guest. So you've got to get into their culture and their time and see it through their eyes and hear it through their ears. Realize this is a horrible, grievous thing. It's not just saying, you know, leave me alone. I'm in bed already. No, it's saying, listen, I refuse to help you. I'm breaking uh, the rules of etiquette. I, I, I'm bringing basically reproach upon my village in doing this. Now, there's some things to note about the story. First of all, did you notice the desperation of the host? He says in this passage, I have nothing to give him. I have no food. Uh, That's a bad place to be when you have guests and you run out of food, isn't it? My grandfather told me years ago, he used to love to cook and, and feed people and all and grill out. You know, always have more food than you need. Don't ever run out of food. And by looking at me, you can tell they never ran out of food. They always had plenty of food. But imagine you have a guest coming in this place. Etiquette's important and you have no food. There's desperation on the part of the host. But did you notice likewise that the host is practicing intercession? Did you notice he's going and asking on behalf of somebody else? He's not going and asking for himself. He's not saying, hey, I'm kind of hungry. I could could use a little bit of milk and some cookies here. I'm I'm not sleeping well. No, it wasn't about him. He was interceding. He was going on behalf of his friend who has come. He has nothing for the friend. He says, friend, lend me three loaves because I have a guest I'm concerned about. And he's interceding for someone else here. So we said what you're supposed to study to find the main point. What's the main point? I believe the main point is persistence in prayer. You need to practice persistence in prayer. Look at verse 8 again. Jesus says, I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend. Watch it. Yet because of his persistence, 
he will rise and give him as many as he needs. In other words, the man knocked enough and asked enough and kept interceding and kept pleading and kept asking until finally the neighbor rolls out of bed and gives him what he needed. Now, we said what? A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Now, here's the heavenly meaning. Here's the spiritual truth. Verse nine. So because of what I just told you. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. The Greek is actually stronger. You know, we have an English Bible. The New Testament is translated from Greek. Here's what it actually means in Greek. Here's the Holman Christian. So I say to you, keep asking and it will be given to you. Keep searching and you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be open to you. It's the idea of continuous action. Keep on asking. Keep on knocking. Keep on seeking. Now, don't miss this. Jesus is talking about prayer. And he's talking about persistence in prayer. And he uses a story about a stubborn neighbor who will not give to his friend unless he's uh, badgered enough to teach a lesson. Now, listen, don't miss this. If you're going to leave, don't leave yet. Get this sentence down. He is not setting up a comparison between the stubborn neighbor and God. In fact, he's setting up a contrast between the stubborn neighbor and God. He's saying this. Listen, God is not like that unwilling neighbor. And that will become crystal clear in just a moment as we keep studying the parable. But let me just talk to you for a moment about this whole idea of persistence in prayer. If you've got the old King James, you've got a word you don't use very often. The word instead of persistence is the word importunity. How many of you used that word this past week? Importunity. Persistence. The idea here is a boldness about his persistence. Some would even say a shamelessness about it. He's willing to get his neighbor out of bed at midnight to help his friend. I don't know about you, but it's going to take some desperate circumstance for me to call on somebody at midnight or one o'clock or two o'clock. Very few occasions have ever done that. The last one I can recall was when we Danielle was pregnant with Graham. And it was about, what time was it? Two o'clock in the morning? I don't remember. I had to call Guy and Lynn Edwards at like one or two o'clock in the morning. Because they were going to come and she was right down the street. And I said, I don't know what to expect. And you know what happened? You thought Guy had been up all morning. Guy speaking, hello. I'm like, it's two o'clock in the morning, God. I can't even talk. But no, and they were so gracious to help me. They were so gracious to come and take care of our older guys. Until we could get uh, things arranged. But, you know, it's a desperate situation if you call someone that late. I know if my phone rings at midnight or one o'clock or two o'clock or whatever in the night, I know something drastic. And there's there's a fear. Is there not? There's a fear that wells up within you. And so he's using this story of desperation, intercession, persistence in order to teach a spiritual lesson. Here's the question. Why do we need persistence in prayer? Now, be honest about it today. Have you prayed about something and it seems that God is not listening? Maybe you prayed about it for months. Maybe you prayed about it for years. And you'd be honest and say, well, preacher, it doesn't seem that he said no to me. It just seems he hasn't said anything. I just keep praying and I keep praying and I keep praying. And it just seems like I'm not getting anywhere. And then Jesus says, I want you to keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Here's the question. Why doesn't God just answer us right away? 
That's an honest question. It's a fair question. In all honesty, if you're a child of God and you pray for any amount of time, you've had that thought. You may not verbalize it, but you've had that thought. God, why won't you answer me? Why won't you answer? We find it in the Scripture. People are the same situation. Why won't you answer? Why does God have us persist in prayer and keep on praying and persevere in prayer? Well, let me just give you three, three things today. Three reasons why... Uh, we need to persist in prayer and why he may be having this persist in prayer. I think, number one, the request may not be right. The request may not be right. You know, sometimes we keep praying about something and we don't get an answer because the request is not right. In other words, it's something that's outside the will of God. It's something that God knows is our loving Heavenly Father. He knows it would actually harm us or damage us or even damage you. Um, Our testimony or whatever. So our loving Heavenly Father doesn't give us something that's going to harm us or his glory in this world. And so if we're praying for something and we keep on praying and we get no results, I think the first thing we need to do is stop and see if we're praying the wrong request, if we're asking for the wrong thing. In fact, let me just give you a verse. James 4, 3 says this. You ask and do not receive. Because you ask amiss. Sometimes we ask amiss. And so if you're praying about something, you keep praying about it, you keep praying about it. And God hasn't said a definite no to you necessarily. Because, by the way, no is an answer. Paul learned that. Lord, take this thorn from me. And he prayed three times. And what did God say? My grace is sufficient. But sometimes there's no, there's not a no, but you just not get anyone. You just stop and I think and step back and think about, well, let's think about this request for a moment. What is it that I'm asking for? And maybe instead of praying for that thing or that issue, pray about your request. In other words, say, Father, is this a proper request? Is this the right thing to ask about? And then pray about that for a while. And keep on praying till you get the answer to that prayer. Father, is this a right prayer request? And if it isn't a right request, change it. But if it is a right request, then keep praying about it. You say, well, if the request is right, why won't God answer me? If the, the request is a good request, it's for God's glory, it's for good. I mean, why won't he answer? Well, sometimes, beloved, the timing may not be right. Do you ever think about that? Have you come to find out this truth in your Christian life? We're in a hurry, but God isn't. We're in a hurry, but God isn't. Am I the only one that found that out? Am I the only one that learned that lesson? We're in a hurry. God isn't. Our loving Heavenly Father sees everything all at once. How do we see it? Piece by piece. Moment by moment. Day by day. And sometimes the timing is not right. We don't know all the intricacies that are involved. We get impatient, forget that He has our good and His glory in mind. And the timing must be right. In fact, you look at the life of the Lord Jesus. He said at times, what? My time has not come. The time has not come. There was a time in the Father's will where he was going to give his life a ransom for many. And so we keep on praying, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on trusting, knowing that God knows the perfect timing. And he's working all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28. So you persist in prayer. Sometimes the request may not be right. And sometimes the timing may not be right. But you know what? Sometimes the request may be right. And sometimes even the timing might be right. 
So why doesn't he answer? Well, it may be that you may not be right. So what do you mean by that, preacher? Well, we can have sin in our life that hinders our prayers being answered. We can have wrong motives. It might be a good request. The timing might be right, but our motive isn't right. Let me give you that verse again, James 4, 3. It says, you ask and do not receive because you ask and miss. Now, listen to the last part of the verse, that you may spend it on your pleasures. So sometimes it can be a good request, but my motive is wrong. Quite frankly, sometimes the Lord is growing us in our faith. That's why he makes us wait. He uses these waiting times to stretch us and to grow us and to strengthen us. And he wants us to be more dependent upon him. You know what? If you're desperate and you're praying for something and it seems like God is making you keep praying, 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 then it helps you to grow your faith and become more dependent upon him. Now, listen, you know what else this does? Waiting times gives us time to examine our lives and see where we are. And weigh our motives. Why are we really praying for this? You know, sometimes you have a a spouse praying for their spouse to be saved. That's a good request. That's a wonderful request. But, you know, sometimes the spouse is praying for the spouse to be saved, not because they want their spouse to be saved in a growing relationship. They just want an easier life. Their motive isn't right. It's a selfish motive. You can have a right request and a selfish motive. All kinds of examples we could give. And so waiting gives us time to really weigh it out and say, Lord... Why are you making me wait? What is it? And he teaches you and he stretches you and he grows you and lets you examine your life. And so really, in summary, when we're waiting, when we're persevering, it can help us to straighten out our request, trust God for his perfect timing, purify ourselves, purify our motives, and it builds our faith and dependence on the Lord. So I say to you, let's keep at it. Let's keep praying. Let's keep asking. Let's keep seeking. Let's keep knocking. Well, we've seen a pattern for prayer, and uh, we've seen here uh, persistence in prayer, but Jesus is not finished in either way. We're almost through, but look back at verse 11. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, this fits so nicely with our whole theme of family today. If a son asks for bread for any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent, a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? I see it getting worse and worse. Well, snakes and scorpions tip for tap. But I mean, stone, snake, scorpion. Your child's asking for food. You give him a stone, a snake or a scorpion. Now, remember, I said earlier that Jesus was setting up a contrast, not a comparison. In other words, he's saying, listen, God is not like the unwilling neighbor. He's anything but the unwilling neighbor. And we see it here. Why? Because we move from a picture of a friend, and a picture of a neighbor. Did you notice it when you read it? We move now to a son. Did you notice it there in verse 11? If a son asks for bread. Now, none of us would treat our children this way, I hope. They come saying, can I have some food? Can I have bread? Can I have some fish? Can I have an egg? Uh, Well-rounded diet, by the way, don't you think? And you say, listen... I'm going to give you things that are going to harm you. I'm going to give you things that are going to hurt you. Think about a scorpion, giving a child a scorpion, giving a child a snake, giving a child a stone. Now watch for the, le- the lesson now in the next verse. Verse 13. Here's a contrast. If you then being evil. Now there's a blessing. Isn't it? We're evil. We're just sinners saved by grace. If you then being evil 
know how to give good gifts to your children. Moms and dads, I know, I know the majority of you here, you give good gifts to your children. That's a, you enjoy doing that. If you being evil know how to do that and you do that, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? This part deals, beloved, with the person to focus on in prayer. The focus, the person we're to focus on. And by the way, it's not you and it's not me. When we're praying, our focus is not upon ourselves. It's upon our Heavenly Father. Do you find it interesting, beloved, that this passage we read today, from verse 1 to verse 13, it began with the Father and it ended with the Father. Verse 2 says, when you pray, our Father which art in heaven. Verse 13 says, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask them? We should focus in our praying upon our loving Heavenly Father. Psalm 37, 4 says it this way. Delight yourself also in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. Focus on the Lord. Center yourself upon the Lord. And He shall give you the desires of your heart. When your delight is the Lord, you're going to ask for things that delight the Lord. He delights to give them to you. Now, it's interesting here. We're almost done. Hang with me. It's interesting here that He says the Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. We know the Bible teaches that the... Uh, the whole, every believer gets the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. The moment you're saved, the Holy Spirit indwells you, takes up residence. First Corinthians twelve thirteen, Romans eight nine, Ephesians one thirteen and fourteen. The Holy Spirit takes up residence within you, and He indwells us. But we need His mighty working in our life every single day. And many times, if we're honest, what we really need, beloved, is not physical stuff and physical things. What we really need is a better who we really need. Who we need is God. We need God. We need the Holy Spirit to do a work in our life. Ephesians 1.17 says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Ephesians 3.16, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. If truth be known... We don't even know what we really need at times. We, we don't know what we really need. Sometimes we think we need a new job. What we really need is a new attitude. Sometimes we think we need more money. What we really need is contentment. You know, we don't really know many times what we really need. And so we pray for all these things and maybe our request is not right. And, and God makes us wait and we begin to weigh that out and He begins to work in our life. And, and the Holy Spirit begins to work in us and show us it's not things you need, it's me. You need my working in your life. You need my, my character in your life. You need to grow in your faith. And I find it interesting here. Did you notice the whole Trinity is involved in this? You have God the Father... Teaching you to pray to, excuse me, of God the Son, teaching you to pray to God the Father to ask for God the Spirit. Did you notice that? God the Son, teaching you to pray to God the Father to receive God the Holy Spirit. And if we're going to keep on asking and keep on seeking and keep on knocking, by the way, if you line those up, ask, seek, knock, it even spells ask right there. If we're going to keep on doing that, we're going to have to have the strength and the working of the Holy Spirit. And the amazing thing is, while we're waiting, while we're praying, while we're knocking and waiting, he's working in us to accomplish good, his good purposes. You know why? Because I want you to think about the fruit of the Spirit in regards to this passage. When you're waiting on the Lord and you're praying and praying, what do you need? Listen to what the fruit of the Spirit is, Galatians 5, and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, 
Joy. If you're waiting, you need joy, don't you? Peace. If you're waiting, you need peace. Long-suffering. Isn't that what we need? To wait long? You know what that is originally? Here's how it is originally. Ready? Long-suffering. Patience. Long-suffering. Kindness. If you're waiting, don't you need to be kind? It's hard, isn't it? Goodness. Faithfulness. I'm waiting. I'm going to be faithful to you, Lord. Gentleness. Self-control. Four points to ponder and we're done. I'm calling this pondering the parables. Because what I want us to do, I don't want this just to be an exercise where you come and sit 30 minutes and you sit, soak and sour and go out. I want it to be a time where you come in and you're exposed to a parable and you go out with the parable in your heart and your mind and you're pondering what it teaches. So I want to give you four points to ponder and we're done. Number one, here it is. Do you pray? Do you pray? Do you pray? We talked about earlier, they may not be satisfied with your prayer life, may be hit and miss, or may not be in a season where you're real faithful. But do you pray? Is prayer a part of your life? Because if you don't pray at all, it could be a sign you don't know the Father. Because a true believer is going to pray. It may not be the best prayer life. It's struggle, we all do. But do you pray? Secondly, is your focus in prayer on you? Or on your loving Heavenly Father. See, that makes all the difference in the world. Because if you'll focus on the Father when you're waiting, it's a whole lot easier to wait. If you focus on you and what you need and what you desire and what you think you have to have, it's a whole lot harder to wait. But if you focus upon the goodness of your Father, you're my Heavenly Father, you're loving, you're good, you're faithful, you're holy, you're righteous, you're wise, you're all-powerful, you're, you're all these things. If you focus upon your Father, it makes it easier Away because he is a loving Heavenly Father and he has good things for you. Thirdly, do you want what you really need in prayer or just what you want? We talked about it a moment ago. Lord, I need more money. No, you need contentment. I need a new job. No, you need a new attitude. You see, do you want what you really need in prayer? Are you willing to wait and allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life? And bring you to a point where he shows you what you really should be praying for. As he works to mold and make you into the Lord, uh, make you more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, will you practice persistence in prayer with the help of the Holy Spirit? Because that's the point of the parable. That's the point. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. You can't do it on your own. But the Holy Spirit will help you. To persist in prayer until your Heavenly Father answers in His right and perfect way. My life verse, and I may have shared this with you before, is Galatians 6.9. And I thought about it as I put this message together this past week. My life verse, Galatians 6.9 says, And let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. There's a lot in that verse, and I'm not going to preach another sermon, but it fits so nicely here. Don't grow weary in your prayer. Persist in prayer. And in due season, the loving Heavenly Father will answer the request in His perfect timing for your good and for His glory. So, beloved, keep on asking. 
keep on seeking and keep on knocking. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your glory. Help us, Lord, as we ponder this parable to learn the lessons that you have for us here. And help us to not grow weary in our prayer life, but to keep on praying until you answer for our good and your glory. We thank you for this now and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn is Sweet Hour of Prayer, 445. The altar is open today if you'd like to come and pray. I'll just make it a very simple invitation. Number one, you need to be saved today. We'd love to lead you to the cross. You come and let us know. We'd love to pray with you and lead you to the cross. But the majority of the message today was for believers. And maybe you're wrestling today with some things. If you want to come and pray about some of those things as we close our service. 445, the altar is open. We're going to stand and sing sweet hour of prayer. We invite you to come as we sing. 445, let's stand together and sing. Thank you.